0: Here's a little something I added to the sermon about, well, now it's about an hour and 20 or 30 minutes ago. I added it right before first service. It's a story. It's a personal story, and I hope it will help to kind of get us into what we're going to be looking at today. Uh, when my wife and I were dating in college, um, she broke up with me. You're, yeah, you're supposed to say, ah, right? <laughs> you were as heartless as the first service. They were just complete silence, like just a really compassionless people. <laughs> so I know exactly who you are now, and boy, I'm going to bring the fire and the brimstone. No, anyway, uh, she broke up with me. And, and oh, thank you. <laughs> now it's, it's like we need the cueing on the side. This is the time when you applause. This is when you say, Oh, whatever. All right, this isn't the Ellen show, whatever. Uh, where was I? Oh, yeah, my wife broke up with me, and um, we were... So we got back together because she's my wife, right? Um, and I found out why she broke up with me. And she broke up with me because she didn't like the way that I challenged her. That's what she'll tell you. Like she felt like our relationship, like I would say things. I'd make observations that challenged uh, the way that she did things. Sometimes good, sometimes bad. Um, and, and that's a part of an, a relationship. Not just a romantic one, but any relationship, isn't it? That when you come into pro- close proximity with somebody, when you come into relationship with someone, you inevitably will be challenged. And it goes both ways in human relationships. So um, I have felt over the last 19 years of marriage with her times when she has challenged me, and it's uncomfortable. It feels dangerous to be in a relationship with somebody who knows you well. And she's felt the same way over that time. I wonder if you know that there is nothing safe about coming into contact with Jesus Christ. That when you have relationship with Jesus, it's a dangerous business. If you trust in him, you'll find him always meddling with your life. Right? Right? Constantly needling areas of pride, areas of sin, areas of autonomy in you. Jesus is not warm and fuzzy in that way. He'll break you down piece by piece only to build you back up again. And in that sense, it's a glorious work that Jesus does when he breaks you down. It's for your good, but it's not safe. It's very uncomfortable. It can be very dangerous in a sense. On the other hand, if you come into relationship with Jesus and you're constantly holding him at arm's length, if you're constantly opposing him, opposing his authority over you, you'll find yourself more and more enslaved to that opposition. You'll find his teaching harder and harder to listen to. You'll find his very name begins to annoy you. You'll find your heart is progressively lifeless and cold to the idea that you would need a Savior. And in this way, interacting with him can be dangerous. It can harden your heart to the message of mercy that God offers us in Jesus Christ. Coming into close proximity to Jesus over and over again, whether you call him Lord, or you oppose his lordship, can be an unsafe activity, a dangerous activity, in a sense. And this is the picture Jesus paints for us in the story he tells in today's text. He tells a warning story here, and we're going to look at it in Luke chapter 20, beginning in verse 9. Uh, Let me read it uh, aloud, and uh, we're going to hear this warning story of Jesus, this warning parable he tells. And then we're going to pray that God would come and teach us this morning and he would help us to have soft hearts and not hard hearts when it comes to our relationship with him. Here's what Luke, inspired by the Holy Spirit, records for us in chapter 20 and in verse 9 and following. And Jesus began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and led it out to tenants And went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant. But they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third. This one also they wounded and cast out. And then the owner Of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they, that is the crowd, those who were hearing it, heard this, they said, surely not. But Jesus looked directly at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God for it. Will you join me in prayer as we prepare our hearts to receive God's word through the course of this sermon? Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would open up your word to us this morning. Help us to to comprehend what you are teaching here through this warning story that Jesus tells you have lessons here for us help us to to grasp those lessons uh, to soften our hearts to your authority in our lives and to follow after you no matter where it is you would call us and we pray this not simply for a little while we pray this for The rest of our lives, as we try to serve you here in this fallen world, that we would war against having a hard heart towards your authority. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, this parable, and this is kind of a roadmap going forward, this parable is really about two main things. First of all, it's about the hardness of hearts. This is a story about the hardness of hearts, the dangers of hardening our hearts, really. So that's the first thing. And then the second is this. It's about the patience of God, the patience of God for now, for a short time, so to speak, for a while. This story depicts the long-suffering character of God the Father while simultaneously warning us that his patience will not last Forever. So those are the two things we want to look at here today. First, the hardness of hearts. And what's clear if we recognize the context of this story is this story is being told against the teachers of the law, the religious authorities in Jesus's day. The context indicates that you can go to the first verse of next week's passage. And you see, this is precisely what those religious leaders understood. Here's what it says in that first verse of next week's passage. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on Jesus at that very hour for they perceived, because they perceived that he had told this parable against them. They understood what Jesus was saying here. They understood the implications of this little story. Now, remember, this is just one interaction among many, many interactions Jesus had with the religious leaders. Now, three years of ministry, a lot of interactions with religious authorities. His ministry had consistently challenged these authorities. He taught as one who had authority in and of himself. Those religious leaders didn't like that. He critiqued their traditions, the things that they had built up on top of Scripture. Uh, The religious authorities didn't like that. He outwitted them, made them look foolish when they were having theological discussions or debates. They really, really didn't like that. He performed miracles. They couldn't imagine performing. And he hobnobbed with common What they considered to be sinful people. And they didn't like that. I think consequently it's fair to say. That the religious elites. Didn't instantly accelerate. Into violence against Jesus. They didn't in a moment decide. To lay hands on Jesus. So that they could crucify him. Rather. Theirs was a progressive hardening. Of heart towards him. Interaction. Interaction after interaction, after interaction. One negative interaction, prejudicing them against the next interaction until eventually they think, he does his miracles. He does his ministry by the power of Satan. He needs to be done away with. He needs to be killed. That's how they got to this place. And this is how it works. I'm sure many of you know precisely how it happens from experience. In your own lives, you know how this takes place. You have an ugly interaction with somebody, some kind of a misunderstanding that heads south. You go away thinking about what they said to you and inevitably you go away imagining what you could have said if you'd been clever enough to them that would have really gotten them. And then maybe you have another interaction with them, but you're you're already wary of that person and so that doesn't go so well and slowly over time you begin to despise them you begin to talk to other people people who you can have on your side about that person you, you poison the well so to speak when it comes to them and before too long you've totally demonized him or her your heart is ice cold when you think about them you know how this works And there's a danger in it. There's a real danger for us when we do this. When we allow our hearts to become calloused over time, we also allow our ability to see and know the truth to become calloused as well. That happens. We can't see the truth about that other person anymore. And we can't see ourselves as we really are anymore. That's what happens, and it is dangerous. I think about this. When we harden our hearts over time against someone, we tend to demonize them. Demonize a person created in the image of God. That is a dangerous lie that we tell ourselves. And we start to think ourselves very righteous, very right about everything. Also a a dangerous lie because we're sinners. We're fallen. We're imperfect. These are the kinds of lies that hard hearts preach to us. These are the kinds of lies we buy into when over time we harden our hearts towards others. These are the kinds of dangerous things that happen to people when they harden their hearts. This is where the religious leaders find themselves when it comes to Jesus And it's dangerous. They've chafed at his authority in this passage of Scripture. I wonder if you remember last week the question they brought uh, to Jesus. Benjamin highlighted it in his sermon. He did a great job. But they come to Jesus with a question Who gave you this authority? They asked. Luke chapter 20, verse 2. Who gave you this authority? They don't like his authority. His authority to, to clear the temple, to toss over the money changers' tables. They don't like that authority. His his authority that he assumes to have when people are praising him and honoring him as he enters into the city. But he won't quiet their voices. They don't like that kind of authority. His authority when he teaches scripture as if somehow he can interpret it correctly in and of himself. He takes the position that only God should take when it comes to the laws of God. They don't like that authority. And so they come with this question. Offended already. Who's given you this authority? And at this point. They've had enough. Their hearts are hard towards him. Hardened towards this rabbi. They want him out of the way. They cannot and will not see the truth about Jesus. And they're blind to the truth about themselves. Friends, if you're a believer, they see the Son of God, God incarnate as wrong and themselves as right all because of the hardness of their hearts. How dangerous is that? When they can call the one who is perfectly good a messenger of Satan, how dangerous is that? Hardening your heart to Jesus is a dangerous thing. You're not immune to it. In fact, I'd say this. We are prone to having hard hearts towards Jesus. It's a natural proclivity that we have. Just think about the following questions. How do you use what you've been given? Money, power, talent. How do you use it? Do you think of those things as primarily something that you have to use as you please? It's yours. You generate it. Or do you think that you have an authority other than yourself over those things? If you're confronted by Jesus in some area of your life, some area where you've assumed too much authority, are you... Ready and willing immediately to open that up to Jesus? Or do you kind of hold back? Maybe brace yourself for, for a fight. No, I don't want you there, Jesus. How do you react? How do you behave in those moments? Or consider how you would answer these questions. They'll tell you a lot about authority and who has it in your life. Who do you believe sex is for? Is it, is it mainly something that's for your pleasure? However you want to use it. Who's food for? Does it exist foremost to make you happy? Who is fashion for? Who is family for? Who reigns over these areas in your life? The world will tell you that they are yours. Every one of those, it's yours. That's the gospel the world preaches. But that's not the view of the Bible and this is a church and I'm a pastor and my job is not to preach the gospel of the world but the gospel as it's found in God's word and God's word is very clear. God's word says those things, everything in your life is to be for God's glory. It's his. The word says that all of those areas, every single thing that you have is under God's authority. And for God's glory. That's what the Bible says very clearly. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter. They sing in unison. And they urge urge you to submit to the authority of Christ in all things. And in every area of life. Not to harden your heart to him in any area of life. Listen to what they say in unison. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 31. Here's what Paul says. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Or Colossians chapter 3 verse 27, Paul again says something very similar. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's what Paul says. Listen to what Peter says. First Peter chapter 4 verse 11. If anyone speaks, he should speak as one conveying the words of God. If anyone serves, he should serve with the strength God provides. So that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To whom be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. You know what I love about Peter's uh, words there? He's saying everything's for God. It's all for God's glory. And then what does he do? He breaks in to worship. Even the teaching of this truth, he says, I've got to praise God. Praise God for this truth. These texts and many others in the Bible tell you who really has authority over all things and who those things are really for. Our hearts will surely rebel against this truth. And again, the world will preach a different gospel than this gospel. It will. But I'm not preaching that different gospel today. Make no mistake about it. All things, including you, were created By and for the Lord. Long, long ago, Augustine famously wrote in his confessions, You, Lord, have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Lord, you made us for you, and until we find our rest in you, we will have restless hearts. Watching the Super Bowl commercials last Sunday evening, it was apparent to me how restless our hearts are prone to be, how restless secular hearts are, product after product, vying for our loyalties. But you don't have to zoom in on one particular commercial to see how that's so. Actually, I think it's better to pan out and to think about what those commercials represent, to see what makes our culture tick Bechtel and I were thinking about this phenomenon last Tuesday afternoon and he pointed to Times Square. Go ahead and put that picture up. That's not the picture. There's the picture. That's Times Square. It's about three hours away from here. He pointed to Times Square as an indicator or or a symptom of our restless hearts. How we long for something to satisfy us. Here's how. All those neon blinking lights, all of those giant video screens with moving images. They don't exist and therefore our hearts become restless. Here's the truth. They exist because our hearts are restless. That's a product. That's a symptom of the fact that humanity has a restless heart, a vacuum inside of us that we try to fill up And so not even in a malicious way, the world says, well, here are innumerable things you can fill your hearts up with. Things that will make you happy, perhaps. Go find what it is for you. The Super Bowl commercials sing this to us. Times Square sings this to us. They are siren songs beckoning you to worship idols that will eventually disappoint and crush you. The Bible tells us it must be relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that can fill our restless hearts and give them rest. Nothing else will satisfy that longing. Only the authority of Jesus Christ over and in us will. And that is a strange gospel to the world, but it is the truth. Friends, the more the religious leaders came up against the authority claims of Jesus and denied those claims, the harder their hearts became to the good news Jesus personified and came to accomplish. And we get the sad picture we see today because of that the progressive hardening of their hearts. And the more we give ourselves over to sin, the more we hold Christ's reign at arm's length in certain areas. The more we deny that Jesus has full authority over us, the harder our hearts become as well. It's dangerous. Don't do it. It's giving sin, it's giving Satan a foothold in your life. An opportunity to make your life a mess chaos. We've got to move on to our, our second thing that this passage is about and that is the patience of God for now. It is good news. Patience for now that we need to look at here. Jesus uh, does a whole bunch of stuff in this story. In fact, I could probably have made this into five different sermons. There, He quotes Psalm 118 in this text. He makes other Old Testament allusions here in a very short Uh, passage of scripture. Uh, There's stone imagery from Isaiah chapter 8. There's stone imagery from Daniel chapter 2. He brings in to this passage. He alludes to. And I'm not going to be able to get into all of the allusions and the references that Jesus has here. But we should recognize, we have to recognize that those that Jesus was talking to would have been tracking. The religious authorities, they caught the references and they caught the allusions. They understood Jesus very well. They understood precisely what Jesus was saying to them and about them. As well as what he was saying, I think, about himself. And so, what was Jesus saying about them? And what was Jesus saying about himself? What's the bottom line? Here it is in a nutshell. I found this quote. It's helpful. The stone passages that Jesus quotes in his interpretation of the parable of the Vineyard Tenants explain the parable as an accusation and a threat against the Jewish leaders. And at the same time, they communicate a veiled claim of Jesus to be God's authoritative and decisive representative. Jesus is saying... You're in a dangerous spot. And I, I have the authority of God on my side. In other words, Jesus tells leaders, you're the faithless vineyard workers. That's you. Pastors of Israel, that's you. You're the rebel stealing the vineyard owner's property. It's you who have abused and mistreated and killed the owner's servants. Thinking back, Jesus looks at the prophets of Israel sent to Israel and how they had been abused. and He says you have done this in the past, you shepherds of Israel, and you're doing it now. It's a harsh condemnation. Simultaneously, Jesus is giving them an answer to their previous question, the question that they brought in last week's passage. He didn't immediately answer the question who gave you this authority but he does hear in this story he says to them I'm the heir I'm the owner's only son I have complete authority over the vineyard and, and just as those vineyard workers wanted to murder the heir you want to kill me friends Jesus says I think in no uncertain terms when you understand this story God is my father I am his son. I have God's authority. That's the authority I have. That's the authority by which I do these things. God with us, God incarnate. These are the kinds of assertions Jesus often makes concerning his identity and his authority. These are the types of stories he regularly tells about who he is and why he has come. And it's a warning. It's a warning for those who reject God's beloved son. Judgment will come. It's a warning. As Jesus says in verse 15 and 16 of the passage. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants. And give the vineyard to others. Don't say I didn't warn you. Jesus says. This is about the time you wonder how this point can be about a patient God. After all, it seems to highlight a wrathful God. It seems to hi- highlight a vengeful father. It seems to highlight his swift, harsh, and final punishment. And I would say to all of those things, yes. It does highlight those things. That's precisely what Jesus' parable highlights for us. But we have to keep his story in its context. We have to remember where Jesus is. And we have to remember who is this one. The parable is being spoken by. Whose lips is this parable? This story? This warning story? Whose lips is it on? In actual space-time history. Okay, I want you to think about that. In actual space-time history. This isn't some myth. This isn't some other dimension. This is, this is actual history. We're living it right now. In actual space-time history, here stands the vineyard owner's son, the heir. God in the flesh. And God the Father knows full well that when he sends his son, what's going to happen? Okay, that's where the story, the warning story Jesus tells. And the actual situation we're talking about here, that's where they differ. They diverge. God had no delusion that Jesus was going to be received he knew exactly where he was sending the son and he knew full well that the rebel tenants would reject mock and kill him willingly willingly nonetheless God the father sent the son and it's not that the son went begrudgingly no Jesus knows exactly what's going to happen to him and he comes he chooses to come God sends the Son for peace. The Son comes for peace. Jesus warns them here because Jesus loves them. The Father sent the Son to them because the Father loves them. God is patient with all these rebel tenants in order that his long-suffering kindness towards them might lead them to repentance and salvation. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. That is why God is patient. That is why God is kind. That those who have rebelled against him might turn, receive his pardon through faith in Jesus Christ and be called his sons and daughters. I have uh, five children and when I warn one of them concerning something, sometimes I'm warning multiple kids at the same time, uh, it is a sign of my love for them. It is a sign that I'm trying to be patient with them so that they won't have to face punishment. Now, there are more times than I'd like to count in which there is no warning, right? It's the wrath of Jason, the father, immediately, swiftly. I just lose it. My kids are doing something ridiculous, and I just lose it. That is sin. That is impatience, impatience. That is nothing like the picture of God we receive in this. There is a warning here. The cross is just ahead and Jesus is saying, be careful, be warned. There's a warning here and a warning comes out of love and patience comes out of love. And that's where God is with these tenants. That's where God is with these shepherds of Israel. I and my parenting am not like God. You and your parenting if you're a parent are not like God, not perfectly. But we have an idea of what it means to be patient out of love and to give a warning out of love. And we need to remember that, friends. We're still living right now in the time of God's patience. I wonder if you know that. It doesn't last forever. The day is approaching when the skies are going to be rolled back. And Jesus is going to return. And all those who've rejected God's authority, all who have rejected God's Son, will face the Father's eternal rejection. What they've done will be done to them. This is what the Bible calls hell. The frowning disposition eternally upon those who've rejected the Son. The living stone, Jesus, whom they have rejected, will fall upon them and crush them. Verse 18 of today's passage. He will crush them. They will be eternally undone. It is an unpleasant picture. It is a warning. But for us, that is not today. This isn't that time. Today, we can hear this warning. Today, we can have soft hearts. We can fall upon, trust upon the living stone, Jesus Christ. And we'll be broken to pieces. But when we fall on the mercy of Jesus Christ, when we trust in him and are broken to pieces, we are promised and encouraged that he will build us back up again. That he'll reconstruct us gloriously Bearing our dishonor. Bearing our sin. Bearing our rebellion and raising us to glory in Christ. That's the gospel promise. If you're a believer today, there are areas in your life that you need to submit to the authority of Christ. Don't harden your hearts. And if you're not a believer, if you're not a follower of Jesus, so glad you're here. We're super excited. We want this place to always be a welcoming environment for you. But you are in the time of God's patience. And if you turn to him and trust in Christ, you will be broken to pieces but with the promise that you will be built up gloriously in the image of the Son for all eternity, experiencing the blessings of a Heavenly Father who loves you. Amen. Let me pray and then we have the privilege of celebrating the Lord's Supper together this morning. Will you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for your patient kindness towards us. May your patience, your kindness lead us to repentance. Lord Jesus we are so thankful for this story this warning story you told us so long ago which is still applicable to us help us not to harden our hearts towards you and and for those here who Lord are just investigating who you are want to know more about you may you reveal yourself to them and gently lead them to yourself it's in Christ's name that we pray Amen.